The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now in Fast Fitch downgrades the U.S., but many investors, including America's most influential CEO, Jamie Dimon, call the move ridiculous. Still, we saw the markets react. Rates spiked. A big part of tech got hit hard today. We'll go inside the slide straight ahead. Plus, Apple and Amazon on the clock. The two tech titans reporting tomorrow. Both stocks tumbling today. Not exactly sizzling this summer. So where do we go from here? We'll debate that. And later, we'll have the after hours action and a host of earnings movers from Qualcomm to Robinhood to Zillow and much more. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Karen Feinerman, Steve Grasso, Tim Seymour, and Julie Beal. We start off with a straw that might have finally broken the rally's back, which is downgrade of the United States long-term credit rating sent the yield on the 10-year Treasury to its highest level since last November. And that took the wind out of the sails of the equity rally in a big way, the Dow dropping nearly 350 points, going negative for the week. The S&P down 1.4% for its lowest close in more than two weeks. The Nasdaq shedding more than 2%, its biggest loss since February. But take a look at the stocks that were particularly hard hit. High multiple names like Zscaler, Datadog, CrowdStrike, all dropping more than 6%. Semiconductors also taking a leg lower. AMD, which was up about 6% after its earnings report last night, and the day down more than 7%. Investors turning instead to the safety of more defensive sectors, consumer staples, healthcare, the only groups in the green today. So did Fitch effectively show how tenuous this rally has been? And we've seen this before, Karen. 4% seems like the magic number. Whatever the reason for the getting above 4% is, this time it's Fitch. Stocks sell off. Right. Well, there's sort of a confluence of things. I think, you know, this run in the equity markets has been huge. And so maybe that was just out of gas. And uh, so the Fitch thing, certainly just throwing some gasoline on it. And then uh, I think some of this Treasury issuance, particularly longer dated, that's going to be a lot of supply, a lot more than was expected. And so that was sort of just another thing to throw in the fire. And I, I don't think this is a one day fire, actually. I think I think it's going to. Take a while. Yeah, I do. I do. I I mean, if we step back, it hasn't moved that much. The market hasn't moved that much. Bonds are starting to really begin to have a big move. Yeah, 408 right now, Grasso. Yeah, I mean, I think Karen hit it. It's the market's been looking for a reason to sell off. This was as good as any other reason. But if I asked you, does Powell hike further? What's your answer? It should be no, right? You you would think it's no. I don't think anyone can say that and, and be. Uh, they'll be serious about it, but can you be certain? I don't think you can be certain. No. But does it matter, let's say, he hikes 25? Yeah, I think it does, because if, if everything is raising, r- rising around him and he does it again, those long and variable lags <laughs> become even more important. They become even more detrimental. He, they said they would do something until something broke. The regionals broke. They said they would, they would stop when, when we see something in the unemployment market. We haven't seen that yet. That's the last shoe to drop. 
Uh, Julie, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I appreciate everyone's commentary that, you know, this is ridiculous and this is just like 2011. And, you know, we all agree that the U.S. economy is, you know, bar none, one of the most strong and stable. But, you know, look, you can be the hottest girl at the party and still make very bad decisions. And I think <laughs> we know that that's true of our government. Right. So, you know, when I look at what's happening with uh, Secretary Yellen, you know, coming and saying this is an arbitrary decision. But she's also has testimony saying that, you know, if we get to three percent interest costs, versus GDP, that that's a dangerous level. And we're getting there. We're getting really close to that. It, it's sort of like, you know, I do think there are some concerns and I think they're valid. And I think we should take them seriously. Tim, do you think this is a one day reaction or do you think like Karen, that this might take a little bit longer to figure out? Well, 2011, I don't think anyone's implying this either, but 2011 was one of the worst times to, to be trading through markets in, in my career. And, and it was the volatility there was something we had not seen. And it was combined with ECB dynamics. And I think we're in a different place here. Uh, I think the reality is that, yeah, the, the equities, everyone said the equity markets needed an excuse. I'll buy that. You know, 35 percent in the Nasdaq off of that SVB low, 38 percent in semis, uh, 20 plus percent in the S&P. And yet it seemed like all the bears capitulated last week. So this all kind of makes sense. We're, we're up 80 bips on, on the 10-year before this Fitch announcement from early May and 120 on, on the two-year. So yields are moving higher. I'd make an argument yields have been moving higher on the two-year if you take out COVID from, since 2011, since actually when we were downgraded. Uh, but, but pointing out some of the technical elements of issuance, technical elements of uh, Bank of Japan, maybe no longer yield curve targeting, and, and BOJ also as, in terms of central banks globally buying less in the way of treasuries. Higher yields here are something that, that I think equity markets have not contended with. So uh, I think we're all uh, have been scratching our heads over the last couple weeks for sure as, it, as they have been crescendoing. Um, the Fitch announcement we're, we're going to talk more about this. Uh, I think there's there's kind of comedy on both sides. I mean, the fact that we're referencing uh, January 6th. As a U.S. citizen, I didn't like January 6th. So I'm not poo-pooing that. Uh, but that was January 6th. To, you know, that was 2020. Um, the fact that this is coming up now, the governance dynamics, the qualitative elements of this relative to uh, at least other uh, other central banks or treasuries in the world, I, I think, is is not even close. The White House's response is also kind of laughable. So it, it does you know, put a, a, a bright light on the political folly here. Equities were overbought um, and yields are going higher and it's not good for mm -hmm. equities. Yeah. You know, to, to Tim's point, this timing could have been any other time before this. The timing is, is suspect. But fast forward. If suspect like they did it on purpose. They waited for the Treasury to, to announce it, I think it's, what their issuance well, well, is. They waited. Well, all the, the reasons that all the reasons that they stacked up to Tim's point, you were stacking up January 6th. You, you had a long time to think about this. Right. So I think they, they just had a bolster there. <laughs> Maybe their case, so to speak. But, but if you look at it this way, if Amazon and Apple report better, uh -huh. the market rallies. This could be where we started the show when you said it to Karen. Is it a one day event? If Apple and Amazon are, are greeted uh, favorably within the market, it's going to be a one day event. Well, I mean, I think the question, too, is like, does this change the thinking of all those people who finally came onto the other side of the boat, who finally now say that there is no recession, that there is a soft landing or no landing at this point, that investors in large part were underinvested in the stock market. And there's some aspect of catch up because of positioning going into this rally because people hated the rally going up and resisted and finally are jumping on board. All that still exists. That doesn't mm -hmm. change with right. Fitch. And we knew that it was going to be higher for longer.
Right. So does 4.08 percent and a Fitch downgrade change this overarching thesis? I don't I'm not sure that it does. But I think to your point, sort of the market just looks for something. What's yeah. the excuse oh, yeah, that we're going to have that? Oh, my God, this rally has been too far, you know, too much, too fast, all of that. Um, and I'm just I, it does sort of feel like it's it needs to cool off a little bit. Now I'm long. I'm not, you know, a day like today. I'm just for sure going to lose money. But I added to what hedges that I have. I'm still very I'm always long. I'm always long. But I just feel like the queues the really expensive, the IGV really expensive and um, and bonds, shorts and bonds. So I think uh, I'm in for more pain. I'm not I'm going to stay long, though. Uh huh. Tim, is this a pullback that is temporary within a, a longer, a bigger uptrend that is still intact in your view? Or is this the reason this rally cracks? I, I don't like I don't like equity valuations here. I, I don't love positioning. Um, I, I'll reference a J.P. Morgan survey I read today, and, and a lot of these surveys can be noisy. But but 43% of of their institutional investors think equities are going to uh, make new highs this year, get to 5,000, et cetera. And while at the same time, 76% say that the, the markets have priced in too much credit complacency. So these types of divergences are what we have. I, I agree with that. And, and I, I think equities can go higher. Um, as I often give kind of roadmaps and, and my dashboard continues to be things like, look, semiconductors failed to make new highs. 160 on the SMH, relative new highs to the S&P. Uh, and that's something that we need to watch. The, the, the reversals in AMD, you cited at the top of the show. Um, valuations are really tough here. What we've seen out of this earnings season, though, is that margins have been very resilient. And, and that's something that, that I think for the most part is part of why equities, uh, we are actually seeing multiple re-rating. I believe equity markets have to be challenged after the kind of move. We've had one of the greatest equity rallies in market history. Um, and while I think there are credit dynamics out there, that's not what I'm worried about in the short run. Uh, I'm worried about a lot of pulled forward and a lot of multiples that are going to be tough to live up to. So so is today the crowning moment of, of the last uh, 30% on the S&P? No. But um, I, I don't like equities today as much as I did yesterday. All right. One of the analysts behind Fitch's downgrade joined Squawk on the Street this morning to explain what it would take for the U.S. to regain its AAA rating. I think there's a couple of things that we'd probably want to see. One would be um, some kind of solution, long-term fiscal solution, um, tackling the entitlement programs, for example, um, you know, willingness to somehow look at the revenue side of the picture and or the spending side of the picture and actually bring down the deficits enough to at least stabilize the debt to GDP, which I mentioned is already like three times the, le the level of the AAA median. For more on what the downgrade could mean for the markets, let's bring in Ben Emmons, the Senior Portfolio Manager, Head of Fixed Income at New Edge Wealth. Ben, welcome back to the show. Um, as we had been sort of pointing out uh, during our discussion, there are a lot of factors here surrounding this one Fitch downgrade, whether it be what the Bank of Japan is doing, what the Treasury is doing with its issuance. But what's the bottom line impact, do you think? Yeah, it is on the one hand the Treasury issuance that really played up the Treasury market because that was not priced in. I think when the Treasury made the statement on Monday, traders start to really guess this is not just issuing T-bills just to get that account of the Fed filled up. This is about we're borrowing a lot of money because we have fiscal spending that's expansionary and we didn't really change it through the debt ceiling. So, you know, you got to borrow to fund it. And that means longer maturity bonds have to be borrowed. And I think that's what got priced in today. On the other hand, the downgrade itself, awkward timing, as I, as I hear the discussion, 
It's interesting that reference to January 6th, and I think it really is a statement too about this is brinkmanship that's going to last. And, you know, that's going to become an, an issue in the future, right? I think part of the reaction of the stock market is about someone who comes in the White House in the future, and the future administration is going to have to deal with this deficit and rein in spending and maybe go towards austerity at some point, like we experienced in 2011. Yeah, that's a negative scenario. So that may be somewhat of a reaction in the stock market today on that. You know, whether or not you agree with the downgrade or what, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, higher yields are really challenging this market, whatever the cause is of the higher 10-year yield. Where do you see yields ultimately going here, at least in the next six months or so? Yeah, you know, you could look at it tactically, strategically. You think tactically, you know, maybe to Karen Short, you're, you're going to go towards the upper end of this range, which is around four and a quarter, 43 because we've got a lot of like data come out that's going to likely show surprise strength. And we got the 10-year auction next week that's going to test the market on this supply. But then, you know, if you think longer term, if this is an economy that's really growing but with inflation starting to continue to moderate, then I think you, you don't really get as high with yields. You know, the deficits are not playing a role there. It's the inflation story. So, Ben, when, when we saw today's action, when we saw the large cap uh, tech stocks sell off, in my mind, it would make them more attractive, at least their, their debt on that side of the equation. So was this a, a head fake? Where, where, do you, where do you think people would rather be, Apple or the U.S. government? Well, those are focused on, on ratings, uh, Steve, that, that you would start to look at Apple, right? That's the AAA rated debt as well as Amazon and others. You know, obviously, that's not like as large of a deep of a market as the Treasury market is. But I think life insurers, pension funds, mutual funds, if they're driven by ratings, they're going to look at that corporate debt that is you know, that high rated. And now because the choice for AAA is, is really small now. I mean, you have to look at Sweden or Switzerland or you know, other kind of like tiny sovereign markets that you know, that's not as attractive to invest in and not as deep as Treasury. So, yeah, Apple debt could be interesting. <laughs> hey, Ben, how about, though, the dynamic with where the Fed is? And the presumption is that the Fed could push things too far or break something. We've used that terminology tonight. Uh, and, and, and so a Fed hike seemingly should be something that, that pushes rates lower um, if the assumption is that the Fed is actually pushing too hard. Um, can you speak to that? Because that seems to be weighing on the, the complete other side of this dynamic. And, and, and meanwhile, we're in a world where people are now discussing, I've read three reports in the last week about how China may be going through decades of a Japanization and the dynamics that we've seen of deflation in these places that had credit bubbles. Yeah, sure. Uh, Tim, because, you know, that is a good point. Like the Fed hiking further from here would mean that they are winning more and more the credibility of the bond market to bring inflation down. And that should cap yields over time. And that's been the story in the Treasury market over the last sort of six months or so. But I think the latest move in Treasury yields is not just hikes, really. I mean, today, if you look at the probabilities for September and, and October, they didn't really change, even though yields went up. And I think it's more a story about this is the strength of the economy that came together with this supply story. So, but, you know, if the Fed starts to push further from here, you know, I think the break-evens in, in the tips market are telling you this. Like, you know, okay, Fed, you, you will get this inflation under control if you bring this rate higher. That's a bound positive story. Do you think that that auction will be a really important one, that 10-year one, or not so much? Well, think of the timing, Karen. Like, so next week, it's, it's the day before the CPI report, that auction. It's a larger size auction now. I believe it's five billion more than what it was the last time. We've seen the foreign investors start to move away from treasuries. That's a trend that's developing. So I think that's an interesting moment. 
but you get CPI, so we're expecting a bit softer number again. And then on that day, we have the 30-year auction too, which is going to be larger. So this is a little bit of the test case of what we experienced today. Are the, if the market sold off too much because of discounting the supply and it gets actually taken down well in that auction, we'll see. But, you know, there's, there's I think, a good, good segue for in, you know, a good moment to get into that market, perhaps. You know, good time. Ben, thank you. Thank you. Ben Emmons. Uh, Julie Beal, if we go to four and a quarter, 4.3% on the 10-year yield, what happens? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think some of that is actually starting to get priced in, and I think that's, you know, a pretty positive thing. There's no reason why we can't get to those levels. You know, I think there are so many factors that are driving it right now, but what's critical, I think more important than even, you know, whether we go to four, three, four and a quarter, is what is happening in the U.S. economy and how much benefit have we had over the last, you know, six months, let's say, from exogenous factors that aren't going to be recurring, like lower oil prices. And I think that's actually going to be the much bigger determinant, not so much rates, but more so what's happening in the economy. You're already short TLT, Karen. That was mm-hmm. your final trade yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. More Sticking with it about the trade. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't a one-day, I'm not really yeah. a one-day trader. I do think it, uh, that that auction will be important. Mm-hmm. And I think that... Um, I mean, for, we think of this as such a crazy, wow, it's four, you know, 408. Oh, my God. Well, it's been 408. A lot of, we always go back to, you know, what did our parents pay for their mortgages? Right. 12%, yeah. whatever it was. Right. So I, I, I feel like, you know, we just got to get, I, it, I'm not as alarmed by it. That's why I think it could go higher. Coming up, we'll find out what America's banker, Jamie Dimon, had to say about the Fitch downgrade. All the headlines from Leslie Picker's exclusive interview with the J.P. Morgan CEO. And later, a big tech look ahead. Apple and Amazon report after the bell tomorrow. So how do options traders see the tale of two tech titans play out? We are breaking down the action. We'll be right back. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Qualcomm. Shares are dropping after the chipmaker reported a revenue miss, cited continued macro headwinds. CNBC's Christina Partsinevelis got the details here on set. Christina. Well, the PC market may have hit a trough, but it appears the smartphone market is still looking for a bottom. Qualcomm blaming the 25% year-over-year drop in smartphone revenue because of uh, smartphone weaker industry revenue and slower-than-expected recovery in China, and that had to do with part of the reason. Keep in mind, it makes processors in most of these high-end Android phones. But those factors, so the weaker environment as well as weaker China, leading to elevated customer inventories and why management says drawdowns will, quote, 
be a factor through the end of the calendar year. On the call that's going on right now, CEO Cristiano Amon warning of, quote, additional cost actions to deliver maximum value in an uncertain environment. The CFO adding the cuts would come in the first half of fiscal 2024. So we don't know if that necessarily means job cuts. But to your uh, to your pitch to me or your toss to me, you're talking about the guide. The midpoint of their guide was eight point four eight point five billion lower than what the street was anticipating. Some of that actually has to do with the U.S. export ban. Management just said on the call right now that the September and December quarters wouldn't have revenues from Huawei since they can't get a license to ship 5G chips. The company also guiding for flat margins in September. And lastly, since it's so important, we got to bring up AI. It was just asked on the phone, how is AI, how is your model going to change with AI? It was from Stacey Rasgon who asked that question. They said it'll be an inflection point because they're working with Meta, right, to, to provide Llama 2, which is a large language model, on smartphones, on their chips by 2024. So this is something that they can capitalize. They believe they'll capitalize in the future. But again, has it, you can't monetize it just yet. They will provide the chip in 2024. Yeah, the chip will be available in 2024 for phones. So who knows like, how long we would get it on our actual phone. But it would be pretty incredible that you would have a large language model uh, capabilities on your phone for all of the app uses. I would think that that would already be, though, practically not in the guidance, but I mean, something tangible that they could actually model. He in. responded, and it's in the press release, too. He used the word inflection point. It reminds me of yesterday with AMD and the number of engagements, engagements right? Yeah. Christina, thank you. <laughs> Christina Partsonopoulos. Tim Seymour, what do you think of the quarter? Well, the quarter was not as good as people wanted. And after a 30 percent move in the stock, despite trading 14 times, so not expensive and, and I think relatively interesting, that's what you get. We, we haven't had this smartphone recovery. That was the whisper coming into these numbers. Are we going to start to see it when they've reaffirmed at least a high single digit drawdown in, in handsets? Um, you add that to still an inventory clear, which has been uh, headwind to margins. So uh, the, the numbers aren't terrible. Uh, the move of the stock going into this was 30% off the recent run. Uh, tops out at 135 twice now. Um, that's major resistance. Yeah, Grasso. Yeah, and the I, I believe the 200-day moving average is right around 120 or, or between uh, 119 and a quarter or somewhere around there. It, it, when you look at Qualcomm, if phones are weak, the stock's going to be weak. It's, it, there's very few names in this industry that you have this equals that, Qualcomm. Phone's weak, this is weak. Okay, so the question and therefore Apple exactly, yeah, exactly. is, right. what? Apple. Is everybody else yeah. losing, but Apple is okay? Or, or, or is Apple not okay? <laughs> right, or is Apple not okay? Well, it trades like it's A-okay. It trades like it's A-okay, <laughs> but I mean, maybe we're in an environment now where good isn't good enough. We're really good isn't good enough. Well, you could make the Two case that ago, overall, overall, smartphones are decreasing, but Apple's That's selling the share. Yeah, Apple's selling more of a share. But I, but I think everyone's going into this Apple print knowing that smartphones have been on the decline. And then we have the upgrade cycle in September. So yeah. there's a lot of things that could make this number a little vague with Apple. But I think there's room for Apple still to thread the needle, even with smartphone sales coming down. I mean, we're practically at record high. We've been setting record high after record high after record high, Julie. And so, you know, this, the, the super cycle or upgrade cycle, whatever you want to call it, the services revenue, it's the same bull case every single time, no matter what the environment is. So why Apple should trade at this premium, why Apple should trade at these prices. Are, do you buy into that this time around? I think it's hard, right? If you think going into this quarter, I agree it's going to be pretty squishy in terms of figuring out what the upgrade cycle for the 15 is going to look like, if it's actually going to be worth it. 
And part of it is understanding also how the mix is starting to evolve over time. Can we get more involved with services? What are the opportunities for them there? Because we know that the headset is, it's not it, right? It's not gonna be it for this business in the very near term. So if phones are gonna be soft, which they probably are, where else can we see as any kind of inflection in terms of revenue? And I think what it really comes down to is what can you sell that's as profitable as the iPhone? And there's just not that many things that are like that. So you know, I think it could be a challenging quarter, particularly when you see how much the multiple has expanded for this name. But again, because people have been so reticent into this rally, I do feel like they cling to certain elements of quality and Apple certainly has that too. Coming up, Wall Street's biggest banker went on the record with our own Leslie Picker. We'll dive into why he is so bullish on America ahead on Fast. But first, the after hours action continues from fintech to real estate to cleaning supplies. We've got a slew of results to get you. Uh, We'll bring you the numbers and the trades next. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got more earnings for you. Robinhood and PayPal both tumbling in the after hours. CNBC's Kate Rooney's got the numbers. Kate. Hey there, Melissa. So PayPal eked out a revenue beat. Well, let's start with PayPal, by the way. We've got two here. But eked out a revenue beat in the second quarter. Earnings were pretty much in line with expectations. But pressure on operating margins is really overshadowing some of the strong consumer spending PayPal saw. It's hitting the stock after hours. Margins were below what PayPal had guided to. This was from the credit portfolio on the small business Lending side for PayPal, they increased loss provisions there. CEO Dan Schulman telling me that we have losses under control, as he said. We've taken those provisions and those will play out. You'll start to see acceleration in our operating margins as we exit the year. He's expecting about 100 basis points of improvement and expansion there. Schulman also saying on the call that e-commerce is recovering as consumers start to spend more on retail versus things like travel and entertainment. So that helps e-commerce growth. PayPal's guidance was brighter than expected. Also just saying on the call that PayPal is in the very last stages of the CEO search. So that's been a bit of an overhang in the stock when that uncertainty about who's going to lead the company. On to Robinhood, though, also dropping here after hours, despite reporting a surprise profit for the second quarter. CFO Jason Warnick telling me that the profit was thanks to some of the cost control they've input and then maintaining that cost discipline. Higher revenue, guys, was also driven by higher net interest revenues, things like securities lending and then net interest income. So that was partially offset, though, by lower transaction-based revenue, payment for order flow, especially in cryptocurrency transactions. Those were down about 18%. They added some new products. Robinhood is announcing 3% matching on retirement accounts, improved its outlook on operating margins. Average revenue per user increased, but Robinhood did lose a million users in the quarter, which appears to be weighing on shares here after hours, down more than 5%. Well, it's a million. How many do they have? It's about 11 million. I got to double check here. But I mean, down significantly from the the high, you know, around GameStop and when this company went public. But that's a big worry about more competition, uh, less action per user. And they're increasing revenue because they're expanding into things like retirement accounts, Mm -hmm. things like credit cards and and some of the lending businesses. But there's fear about losing out to, to competitors here. And then the reversal or what seemed like a reversal of that Ripple decision, Kate, would that effectively 
I mean, if that held up, would Robinhood have to take off a lot of products that they currently offer to trade off the platform? So they've started delisting certain cryptocurrencies. They have been cautious about and slower, actually, at the height of some of the the bull market and cryptocurrencies about which they were adding. And so they're in a, a bit of a different position than Coinbase. They offer fewer cryptocurrencies in general, but it would most likely hit that side of the business. Although as the cryptocurrency market has slowed down a lot, it's not you know, as big of a slice of revenue for them as it was really right. when they went public. It's, it's already, we've seen it dried up a little bit. So it's kind of factored into the company's uh, profits here. All right, Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney. Julie Beal, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I mean, look, the metrics, the core lifeblood of this business is obviously its users and its users are not really flocking, even though Tupperware I hear is very, very much the in vogue <laughs> in terms of being able to trade that. What actually, the thing that I that really struck me is if you look at their guidance, they talked about bringing down their stock-based compensation to $900 million. This is a company that's expected to make about $1.8 billion. So they're paying themselves half their revenue in stock-based compensation. I love when people tell me that's a non-cash expense. No one would accept stock-based compensation if it wasn't worth anything. I think this is pretty, pretty bad. Um, so yeah, I'm not, not a big fan here. <laughs> I agree with that accounting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, so PayPal to me was uh, more interesting. That take rate, which is sort of the ultimate important factor, that was down. That was a miss. I do think the CEO thing has been going on a long time, um, and that'll be really important. If they get someone great, I think the stock will really react nicely. Um, you'd think they would be able to, but I'm surprised it's taken this long. It makes me think they were down the road with some candidates and it didn't work out. out. Yeah. And, yeah. All right, coming up, Jamie Dimon on the road and on the record. CNBC caught up with the J.P. Morgan CEO in Montana earlier today. You'll want to hear why he called the downgrade, quote-unquote, ridiculous. And the earnings palooza does not stop. We've still got reports from Clorox and Zillow. Don't go anywhere. Back in two. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. A sea of red on Wall Street today as the Fitch downgrade ignited a sell-off. The Dow down nearly 350 points. The Nasdaq dropping more than 2%, registering its worst day since February. A couple of after-hours earnings movers we wanted to flag for you. Etsy delivering a beat on the top and the bottom line, but Q3 revenue coming in a bit light, sending shares lower to the tune of 5.5%. Meantime, DoorDash driving higher after reporting a mixed quarter. They posted a larger-than-expected loss of beat on revenues. DoorDash set uh, new records for orders in the second quarter. As its grocery and convenience deliveries accelerated, that stock is up 4.4%. Well, Jamie Dimon sitting down for an exclusive interview this afternoon on Power Lunch with our own Leslie Picker. He poured cold water on the Fitch debt downgrade and took the opportunity to trumpet the strength of America as he takes his annual bus tour of the nation. Leslie now joins us from Bozeman, Montana. Um, it seems like Jamie could have been holding pom-poms, <laughs> waving a flag, baking a pie. <laughs> <laughs> a huckleberry pie if it's in Montana. He he actually, Melissa, he looks straight into the camera and he told our audience to leave New York, leave California and get out here to uh, Montana and Idaho. And, you know, we met up with him here in Bozeman, Montana. It was a stop on his annual bus tour where he meets with clients and visits bank branches. In our interview, though, I asked him about his take on the Fitch downgrade in the U.S. It doesn't really matter that much. 
you know, the markets decide. It's not the rain agencies make these big decisions. Number two, they point out some issues which we all knew about, about our debt ceiling crisis and things like that. But uh, number three, most important, the American public, this is the most prosperous nation on the planet. It's still the most prosperous nation on the planet. It's the most secure nation on the planet. And I would point out to the rating agency, I could, that there are a bunch of countries rated higher than us, like AAA, but they live under the American uh, enterprise military system. For, to have them be AAA and not America is kind of ridiculous. He said the big picture in America right now is resiliency, given the strength of the consumer and their balance sheets, the level of innovation here as well. At the same time, though, he pointed out the central bank is taking liquidity out of the system. And he said we haven't quite seen the full effect yet of the quantitative tightening and fiscal spending kind of running concurrent with each other. I asked him if he thinks the Fed has done a good job here. I think they did a good job early on. I think it's quite obvious there was too much. It wasn't just their job, you know, fiscal spending and monetary spending. Uh, I think they, they took too long. They've kind of said that. They caught up by going to 5%. They made sense to, you know, uh, uh, pause for a while. We're going to see. They may have to go a little higher. I don't know, but uh, they've caught up. I have enormous respect for Jay Powell. I asked him if we could see a policymaker Jamie in the future. I'm sure you all know there are lots of people out there who have been kind of pushing him to make a run for president, for example. But he gave me an emphatic no, Melissa. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, he's been known to make a weather analogies uh, recently. I wonder if he thinks for the U.S. Eco- economy, if it's blue skies ahead, um, <laughs> if, if recession is completely yeah. off the table. Yeah, it's funny you asked that. It literally just started raining here as uh, as this uh, interview started. But um, I did ask him about his downgrading assessment because it was just a year ago where he said there was going to be, you know, there could be a hurricane, whether it's a Superstorm Sandy or just a smaller hurricane. He didn't know. And then he kind of downgraded that assessment to storm clouds. I asked him about that and he said, you know, Basically, his assessment kind of remains the same. He thinks that the economy is resilient. He thinks GDP growth is good. He thinks the state of the consumer is solid. He thinks regulation is kind of getting in the way of some additional economic growth we could be having. But he pointed out two risks on the horizons, which are kind of those storm clouds. Number one is QT, which we talked about. Um, And number two is kind of the geopolitical situation, specifically what he's seeing in Ukraine. And my last question for you, Lizzie, because I know it's raining, so I don't want you to get caught there, um, (laughs) is does he actually ride the bus the whole time or does he take the bus to the (laughs) to the limousine stop and then jump in another vehicle and then get on the bus later on? Um, he took the bus when I was with him. I'm not quite sure his travel plans uh, when, when I'm not there. But uh, it was a very ambitious itinerary. We'll put it that way. We've got very Idaho, nice Montana, Washington yeah. State. It was, it was honestly the nicest bus I've ever seen. I've seen a lot <laughs> of great houses, your so I don't know if that's Leslie. a fair comparison. <laughs> I sure do. <laughs> All right, Leslie, thank you. That was a great interview. Leslie Picker in Bozeman, Montana for us. Karen? Mm-hmm. We know you love Jamie. I do. I love Jamie. What do you think of his thoughts? Well, of the bus? <laughs> of his oh, Or the bus. Oh, that, that, the bus is nice. The bus seemed nice. Uh, not surprising. I th- you know, he really seems to be invigorated out on the road, <laughs> meeting people, going into branches. Them. Yeah. He really gets, you know, he seems to be excited about that. I don't know. He seemed optimistic. Um, I, I would, I think he would be an outstanding president, actually. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. I, you know, I'm long J.P. Morgan. It's going to. It's going to bounce around in a bad market, but I I love the First Republic acquisition for them. And they are just the cream of the crop. And I think some of the businesses that weren't working will work. 
But he said he didn't care about whether M&A was up or down right. over time. Right. Tim? I think the, the banking sector overall, the regulation that's coming is, is going to be a lot less significant than people think, at least for the money center banks who already have these fantastic balance sheets. And in terms of giving back capital, uh, dividends and buybacks, I think you know, a lot of this is business as usual. Citibank to me and Bank of America are the ones that really need to get back to uh, pre-SVB dynamics. I, I, I look at the credit dynamics out there right now, and, and these banks uh, are not reflecting that environment. Higher rates uh, ultimately should be normalization. And I think this is something that you stay higher. Uh, you follow the banks into these higher rates. All right. Coming up from home buying to house cleaning, you've got lots of earnings action in housing. Uh, we'll have the results from Zillow and Clorox next. Plus, the countdown is on to one of the biggest, to the biggest of the big tech earnings. We'll dive into the options pits, tell you how traders are setting up ahead of reports from Apple and Amazon. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. A pair of earnings alerts to get to, starting with Zillow. Shares of the company extending the day's losses despite reporting a top and bottom line beat. Adjusted earnings actually came in more than double what analysts expected. Diana Olick is here to break down the numbers. Diana. Well, Melissa, and that's likely due to lower guidance than expected, and I'll get to that in a second. Still, as you said, Zillow had a strong Q2 beat. CEO Rich Barton said in the release, Zillow outperformed the broader industry for the fourth consecutive quarter as we navigate a tough real estate market noting progress on improving touring, financing, and renting. And rentals are the headline. Strong traffic and growth in multifamily properties. So not surprising that while residential and mortgage revenue decreased, rental revenue increased. There was also talk about the Super App, which is designed for a seamless experience from searches through closing. Revenue guidance is a little low for Q3, 458 million to 486 versus estimates of 488. Now, in the shareholder letter, they pointed to high mortgage rates causing would-be sellers to stay put, resulting in record low inventory. As you know, that is the mantra of the summer. They said, we continue to expect it will take time to normalize to higher sales levels. Melissa. All right, Diana, thanks. Diana Olek. Karen, you're in this one. Yeah, I'm in this one. I mean, I, I like to, the, the past quarter, I didn't love the guidance. I do feel like maybe they're sandbagging. We'll see. I think the call, calls are going on now. I'll listen to it later. But um, I love the business. I love their spot in it, uh, you know, at, at the asset light. Imagine if there were existing homes that came on the market. Right. Imagine that world and what that would do for Zillow. So I'm hanging on to it. It's had a very good year after last year, a bad year when it was one of my one of my letters. Oh, was it? Yeah. What was your uh, zombie? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. Okay. You know, the chart on this one, if you, if you look at just year to date, it's up 68 percent. So you think, oh, my God, it's overdone. And then you go back a couple of years. The stock was over two hundred dollars. So if you it, it depends on what prism you look through, this can go much higher from here. Don't get don't don't focus on year to date performance. This has a lot more room to the upside. All right, let's move on to Clorox. The shares popping after easily beating EPS and revenue estimates, issuing stronger than expected full year guidance. The company saying broad based consumption and higher pricing helped boost the results. Seema Modi's been tracking the after hours action. Seema. And the stock up seven percent. Melissa, higher prices, yes, helping Clorox deliver double digit organic net sales growth in all business categories. Health and wellness business was driven by an uptick in cleaning sales, uh, really driven by easing supply chain pressures. 
Clorox also saw household product sales grow 14% in the quarter, driven by cat litter and barbecue grilling. Its international business handedly beating expectations, though the company pointing to rising manufacturing costs. While Clorox's full-year outlook did come in better than expected, CEO Linda Rendell on the call says 2024 outlook is a bit more cautious, projecting a mild U.S. recession. She expects it to get, quote, tougher for consumers and therefore price elasticity to normalize. We are looking at Clorox up and after hours, and it is outperforming its competitor, Kimberly-Clark, so far this year. Mel? All right, Seema, thanks, Seema Modi. So price elasticity to normalize just means that they can't get the price (laughs) hikes that they need to keep up. Um, You know, we've heard this from a lot of the consumer staples so far, Tim, driven by higher pricing, uh, but volumes seem to be declining or feeling the pressure here because consumers are finally saying, I'm not going to pay that much for a bottle of pine salt anymore. Yeah, and and I don't really know what a health and wellness business means for Clorox, but that that's another topic altogether. I, I think this 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 was a significant beat. So this was you know it doesn't surprise me to see the kind of move here um, at around twenty eight and a half times now. I, you know the, there's there's nothing that I think is that extraordinary. And I I believe pricing power is a thing of the past for at least some of these staples that have passed down a lot. So um, I I think it's been largely very range bound. Remember this was. Uh, this stock traded like a tech stock back, you know, March of 2020 to, to August of 2020 um, and, and has been all over the place. It's you know, right around here on a pre-COVID level and a, and a trajectory both with its, its multiple and where it is on the charts. I don't think there's a lot more to do here and I wouldn't chase it. Yeah, I mean, we're just, Karen and I were taking a look at the valuation. You mentioned it, Tim, almost 28 at this point on a forward basis. I mean, it's more expensive than, than Alphabet and Meta. And I understand you're, you're buying Clorox for a very different reason than you are buying these two other tech stocks, Julie. But it just sort of underscores the notion that, that, there, that there is such a premium to these companies still, even in this environment. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting because it seems like a lot of investors are trying to barbell themselves in terms of the risk curve where they're they're taking on more risk for these AI companies, but they're trying to back test that to have a buttress in terms of, of staples. And so you see those doing really well. But oh, my gosh, I would much rather own a monopoly in search and Google than I would want to own Clorox when we're starting to get towards the end of, you know, how much more can they really put in terms of pricing? It's not a great Thing to see volumes declining. So, I mean, for me, this is very easy one to pass on. Coming up, the two tech monsters on deck to report tomorrow. What can we expect from Apple and Amazon? We'll hit the options pits for a look at that. That's next. Stick around. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. The countdown to the biggest of big tech earnings is on. Apple and Amazon both reporting after the bell tomorrow. The stock's each up about 50% this year. But after today's pullback, how should we expect shares to react to the numbers? And we talked about Apple. I don't know, Tim. Well, what are your thoughts on Amazon here? Well, I think Amazon is is an AWS uh, quarter, and I think there's at least some more pressure there, and that's where the stock has been. But but Amazon has underperformed the mega cap tech space. Uh, you know, on some level, remarkably, especially when you consider the strength we've seen uh, across e-commerce and, and the recovery there. So uh, and with Apple, I, I just would go back to those Qualcomm numbers uh, and what is going on with smartphones. But I'll counter that and say what we know about Apple is that their international handset market share is gone up from 16 percent a year ago to, to a little over 20 percent in the last year. So they are outperforming the competition, even still in a soft backdrop. 
Yeah, Steve? Yeah, I mean, it's all about AWS for Amazon. It's always been the AWS story, both up and down. So if there's any hint of positivity growth going forward or they guide higher for AWS, the stock will pop. If not, you're going to see the stock fall off a cliff. Well, just the last quarter, maybe it was an interview with Andy Jassy, the CEO, um, that there's this notion that companies were being rational about their spend mm. um, when it came to AWS. So, so it seems like they, they can have the pixie dust right. of AI, um, but you might have you know, their enterprise consumers pulling back a little bit or really examining how they spend on cloud in general. And then you have the consumer potentially showing some trade down. Um, yeah, you know, well, there's two parts. Although the AI works both ways, right? I mean, they're right. spending. They're spending. Right. And I do think that there is spending to be had on AWS cloud. Um, I also, I mean, you know, they do, I think, feel like we're a little behind in terms of the sentiment around, you know, who's, who's the you leader. Know, right, who's the leader. But they also really didn't seem to care. And this is like the second inning at, at, at most. Right. And so they obviously only look at the long term. And this is a company that really does not care about their stock. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the options market, though, is feeling optimistic ahead of Amazon earnings. Amherst Group co-chief investment officer Chris Sidiel joins us to break down the action. Chris. Hey, uh, yeah, you know, so for Amazon, the appetite remains uh, really lean towards these short dated out the money calls, right? So uh, we saw a lot of activity in the Amazon 140 calls expiring this Friday. And, you know, unless it's an outright miss, these sort of option flows can be really supportive to the underlying as dealers hedge off their sort of post event risk. Um, you know, when you look at this, Amazon uh, is pricing in about 6.8%. Uh, on the Friday straddle. Historically, it's been around a 6.4%. So, you know, the market is hoping for an upside move in, in this, uh, this name, and it's kind of expecting just a little more ball. All right. Chris, thank you. Chris Sidiel of Ambrose. For more options action, tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the Final Trade. Tim Seymour. Today was about rotation into healthcare and staples, and I think UNH, after those two Q numbers, show much, much better tailwinds, especially from net interest income, UNH. Julie Beal. You know, the OGs of AI is simulation software. Sortara does healthcare software. Really interesting. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, I wanted to say Amazon cares about their stock price over time, not right. never. <laughs> um, my, uh, I'm short AIGV and added to that short today. Steve. YOU, Clear Secure. They had a terrible news flow week last week. The stock actually had an earnings beat, popped, short interest. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.